This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Time out. Ben Bruce? What are you doing on this network? I, am I hallucinating or something? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, not too much. But um, anyways, welcome to Game On of the Empty Bench Podcast Network. I'm Hank and Dicker. That's Ben Cruz, who is the newest member of the network and... Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Game on e- at Game on ETV and Instagram at Game on underscore ETV. And of course, if you want to follow the Empty the Bench Network podcast as a whole, please follow us at ETV Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, please give a subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash ETV Network. And if you want to follow any more updates on Empty the Bench as a whole, Please take a look at our website, etbpodcast.com. You can find great blogs and more information there as well. And so, without further ado, I would like to formally introduce the newest member of the Empty the Bench Sports Network, Ben Cruz. And Ben and I actually go back a few years. We used to work at NBC, but in any event, Ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Hank. I'm glad to be a part of this network. Uh, obviously, it's you know we had our Formal time together, being on uh, being in NBC, and uh, you know now obviously we've obviously met off the air here and there at games and stuff like that. But it's great to be uh, on this network now with you, and I'm glad to get started and uh, start this new uh, overall show with you guys. Yeah, absolutely, and I know you're going to be doing a lot of good contributions to this network overall. And by the way, for those wondering, unfortunately, Johnny again has had a lot of scheduling stuff going on, so he unfortunately. Could not make it today, but like I said, we are very excited to have Ben on board and on this friend. So thank you, by the way, Ben, for coming on this episode, even if it was at such short notice and getting your feet wet. I really appreciate it, and I know Nick does as well. But in any event, let's start off this episode with a bang. No pun intended. I'm sorry for that horrible choice of words, but... We have to start by talking about the John Morant suspension. And Ben, I'm sorry, but I need to go on a little bit of a Hank Grant alert. And you're you're really getting a baptism by fire here. I just well, have to say right now, Adam Silver, what the fuck were you thinking? 25 games for a guy who has repeatedly shown that he is not a good person and has repeatedly done stupid things such as pointing out a gun in Facebook live. And then for you to go out and say, Oh, I'm, I'm very surprised that such and such happened and that he did this again and didn't learn his lesson. Really? Are you absolutely tone deaf? I mean, we can have a debate as to who the most tone deaf commissioner is, in sports is right about now, but the fact that like 
he is letting this guy get off only scot three. If anything, you're doing this guy a favor by spending him for only 25 games. Because look at how long an NBA regular season is. It's 82 games, and then you have the playoffs. The Memphis Grizzlies title chances just went up because of the suspension, actually. That's my hot take for you. But um, before I plop a blood vessel, Ben, what are your thoughts about this whole nonsense? It's really unfortunate. You know, this is a guy specifically that is a very young overall star in the making and a, a guy that it was a pretty much a much watched type of TV for so long. And, you know, obviously with a lot of these great athletes, there are obviously some people that just don't know their backstories, you know, in terms of how really they are as a person. And obviously the John Moran situation, the, the first time around, you know, having that loaded gun or whatever on that viral Instagram live, I believe it was kind of when their season was coming to a close. And then, you know, they, they obviously kind of let him off the hook a little bit. He was out for a couple of weeks. And then right around the NBA finals, they they essentially found that there was reports out that he did this thing again. You know, beforehand, he apologized. We felt that, you know, he came back and we're just like, OK, you know, mistakes happen. I know that it was obviously a massive mistake, but hopefully he can learn from it. You know, he sent it out to the NBA, everybody, the world and stuff like that. But, you know, typically for something like that, you can't mess up again. That, that's the biggest thing. And here we are, you know, a couple months later, and he made the same exact mistake. And and obviously, uh, you know, Adam Silver, I agree with you, Hank. You know, I feel like that overall type of suspension is very soft from the NBA. 25 games, that's only really a quarter of the season. And for a specific act that he did that was absolutely uh, terrible, embarrassing, whatever you want to call it, it's an awful look from the NBA. I think that John Moran should be suspended almost half the season, if not the whole entire NBA season, because there has to be a clear message to this guy that, listen, this is not okay, not only for you just as a person, but for the whole entire league, because they don't tolerate this type of things. You know, to have stuff off the field, you know, put it out on Instagram, social media, it, it just – what are we doing here? You know, it's the biggest thing. And I think specifically, you know, John Murray only being suspended only a couple games, really. I mean, not saying a couple games, you know, 25 games is 25 games. But, you know, in retrospect, in terms of the whole season, a couple games kind of compared to almost half the season or a full season, there has to be more of a better, clear message for a guy like this in terms of making a second mistake in terms of how big his actions were. I agree. And do you want to know what makes this whole thing worse? Look at the way Adam Silver went about it in trying to, like, go on with this whole stuff. He went on, like, all the different type of media airwaves and, like, was cracking a joke about it. And then he makes a whole big thing where he's like, oh, a suspension is going to be announced after the finals. Like, really? We are making light of a guy who is not a good person someone who time and time again has done bad behavior. And this was a chance for him to redeem himself. This was a chance for him to draw the line and say, hey, you cannot be acting like this. No, all he gets is a suspension of 25 meaningless games. Because guess what? That's exactly what a quarter of the NBA season is. It is meaningless and to slap a wrist on the guy who with his teammates pretended to point lasers around the Pacers and a guy who comes off making an excuse about the toy gun about like a toy gun which by the way 
That makes the whole thing worse. That just shows he has no respect for the league and says, oh, I'm just going to, like, you know, act like a thug and, like, point guns even when I know I'm being filmed on Instagram Live. Like, how stupid can a person be? And let's ask Adam Silver this question. What if he actually pointed a gun at a person and actually shot somebody? You're giving this guy 25 games for repeatedly doing the same stupid thing. That is absolutely disgraceful. I don't know how anybody in their right mind should tell him this, should like, can, um, can be okay with this. And if you're okay with Adam Silver doing something like this, and if you're okay with this ruling, there is absolutely something very, very wrong with you. Because have you, like, you hear it on the news all the time about people, like, using guns and, like, gun violence. This guy shows no respect for the league and for himself. And Adam Silver doesn't seem to care because he's rewarding bad behavior and all he really cares about is money and marketing and letting his superstar play the game. That is an absolutely terrible message right there. And I'm sorry. It just makes my blood boil thinking about it. No, it's it's an absolute awful look. I mean, you know, I get it. He's a star, so I feel like there might be for the commissioner a little bit of leeway because you're a star. You make all this money. But, like, regardless of the fact, you made two mistakes that were absolutely unacceptable. They were disgraceful. Uh, and, you know, he's essentially putting not only his life at risk, but he's putting other people at risk for something that he should not be doing off, you know, the team grounds. Not only this too, Hank, what does this essentially really affect him, but the team? You know, the, the team essentially is looking at this in terms of this is your star player essentially having an awful look not only to the team, but for the whole entire league. I mean, there has to be a specific point in terms of, you know, as great as a player that he is, do you feel specifically that for the team's sake, it's just better to kind of keep him off the overall roster and play with the guys that you have and be worse for it or bring him in, have a specific distraction with you and try to become a better team with it? I just don't know where you go from here. What is it going to take for for somebody to be proactive instead of reactive? and waiting for disaster before it's too late. That's the real question I want to yeah. ask you. I mean, they, they only gave him 25 games. And I, I don't know specifically, is that really a clear set message to John Morant? Because he apologized twice. I feel like the second time to apologize makes it even worse. As they say, Hank, actions speak louder than words. Show it then. Don't just say it in terms of out to the public because you clearly apologized the first time and you did the exact same mistake. So if I'm, you know, in terms of what he's, you know, in his overall case in terms of what, what they're trying to do, make it make it in a way where you, you show it in terms of make the apology in terms of your overall actions. Don't just say it. And by the way, can I just say this? If the Grizzlies somehow win the NBA title and like, you know, let's hope and pray that he doesn't 
have another incident like this. And I'm not just saying because he's a talented player, but I'm just saying this because like, again, what if he like lets that gun off and acts and accidentally hurts or kills or worse kills somebody. I don't know how I could be happy with that. If the Memphis Grizzlies win a title, because as I said, I'm going to reinforce this. He's missing 25 games, meaningless games. Ben, I'm going to compare this to your Patriots with Tom Brady. Remember when he missed the first four games of that 2016 season? I'm going to be honest with you. I felt this back then, and I feel this just as much now. I actually think that only made the Patriots better because Tom Brady had to miss uh, 25% of the season. He was getting up there in years. He didn't have to play as much. He wasn't going to get uh, the wear and tear. And all it did was made him motivated and help the Patriots win the Super Bowl. So in retrospect, that was actually the best thing that could have happened. Now you're giving a superstar like that time to like rest up and not have to go through as much wear and tear and you're rewarding him and you're possibly helping his team instead of making an example out of something that you often hear of too much in the news. And I'm not trying to go political on you with my stance on gun violence and whatnot, but Mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is you cannot be involved. You cannot allow yourself to get filmed twice with guns you cannot make fake apologies and expect for me to take you seriously and expect for me to think oh you're an okay person adam silver is an absolute garbage human being and somebody that i have absolutely no respect for and look you may see the banner here and say it's an adam silver slip-up no i'm sorry calling it a slip-up by adam silver that's being way too kind all adam silver did was expose himself as a spineless pussy coward yeah i went there but it's <laughs> it's the it's the honest to god truth and 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 if you and if you're okay with him doing that i don't know what to tell you there's something wrong yeah no i mean that I think that for the league specifically, you know, just to go and give him 25 games was just absolutely soft. It was, it was something where just to ben, me, it that, wasn't soft. It was charming ultra soft. I'm yeah, sorry to cut no, you off. No, 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 no. So, uh, it was really bad. It's, it's, it's going to be a bad look for him for a long period of time, you know, just because of this overall act as a whole. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it, it's just really, it's really bad look. Um, I, there's not really much else you can say about it. And I think specifically for a lot of these other type of players out there in the league, you know, that had a lot of respect for the guy um, in terms of his overall talent, you know, they're not, they're going to look at him a lot different, you know, especially what's going on now. Um, so it, it's just, it's really, you know, 25 games was blasphemy to me for sure. Anyways, I'm really worried about that, about what's going to happen later and all the repercussions, but let's um, talk about something a little bit more on the uh, the better side, shall we, with regards to the NBA, and Chris Paul has been traded to the Washington Wizards for Bradley Beal, and apparently there's a whole rumor that Isaiah Thomas had a big role in this. Hmm. Uh, so in terms of my overall thoughts really on this, Hank, is that I actually called this in terms of the way I didn't have Bradley Beal getting traded right away, 
But this was a guy specifically for so long, Hank, that, you know, was with this Washington Wizards team for a long period of time. They really weren't going in a direction where they were going to be, you know, winning a championship. You know, yes, Bradley Beal had some times in the playoffs with John Wall when John Wall was a really great talent uh, there. But obviously then Wall got, you know, had a lot of his injury problems. He wasn't around the team as much and kind of things went haywire down south, unfortunately, for a while. But Beal was so great as a player for them for so long. And they're right now really in a direction where, you know, they, they kind of have to go a lot younger. I feel like as the Wizards, as a franchise, they have to kind of see that in terms of, I wouldn't be surprised if the guy, Christoph Porzingis is going to be like the next guy, one of the other stars, Kyle Kuzma. You know, this could just be the first domino to fall. And Bradley Beal and his agent, I guess, were, you know, trying to figure out, I guess that his agent really found that him and the agent really want a connection of him going to either Miami or Phoenix. And it looked like that he really wanted to go to Phoenix and team up with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And I think specifically this is a really good fit for Bradley Beal. But I also think for Phoenix, it's <clears throat> it's a team that's really desperate to try to win now because they've had a lot of chances. They have came up short in the first couple of rounds with a couple of their star players. And I just don't know in terms of how much they'll have off the bench. But uh, for Chris Paul's sake specifically, I, I know that Chris Paul, there was – Reports said that he was going to be planning to be, you know, moved on from Phoenix and going to Washington. I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's reports that the the trade's not already finalized because I think that Chris Paul might actually have a third team involved in this trade because he's going to try to go to a contending type team where he's a little bit older as a player. So he wants to try to win a championship. So the two teams that I would look at for uh, for Chris Paul to move on to is either the Clippers or the Lakers. I think those are the two teams that really for Chris Paul's sake, where, you know, Washington's not in a win-now mode. Chris Paul could essentially just have a lot of that, you know, money off the books, just have him part of that trade and then go put be part of a three-team type of a role. So, uh, you know, this is a very fascinating one. I mean, I'm, I'm really – I'm not surprised that Beal got moved, but I'm surprised in terms of the timing of it. And so I think just for me, I think it's just a matter of NBA offseason is just – it's very undefeated. You know, anything really crazy can happen. And um, it's just, it's crazy um, that obviously that, you know, right after the NBA finals kind of hit, now we're having this big overall trade that's already kind of gone down. So uh, this should be the first domino of many uh, transactions for the, uh, for the league. Uh, And this was obviously a clear example as one of them. I, this whole thing was really baffling to me, by the way, the whole Chris Paul situation. So the Suns, you heard that they were waving Chris Paul, which by the way, I can't say was the wrong move. Chris Paul is a fantastic player and a legend. There's no denying that. I don't want to hear any ring argument, whatnot. This is a guy who's had a lot of bad luck and definitely is going to be a hall of famer one day, but to have that and then turn that all into landing Bradley Beal. Ben, let me ask you a question. What, where, in what other sport do you hear about something like this? Uh, not really often. I mean, you don't, you don't really see an all-star type player being a part of a trade package for a guy that got waived. Not really often. It's typically when you have a specific trade, it's usually a trade for, you know, an all-star player that goes on and has a trade with another all-star player, but typically it's for a guy typically that wants out or is a free agent, you know, coming up. So they want to kind of clear off books, not usually for a guy that has a wave type of you know, guys planning to get weighed and then they put him in a trade pack. It's not really often. Now I want to give my 10 cents about this trade as a whole. 
because I see where it hurts. I see where it hurts both sides. Now, the Suns definitely got a great player, a fantastic one. And at the same time, at the same time, though, this is the ultimate win now move for them. And on the surface, to me, it looks like they got a steal because of the multiple second round picks they gave up. And even though I also think Landry Sham, it was kind of a loss for them, but that's neither here nor there. However, the Suns made to me may are may in the process of making what I like to call a deal with the devil. Now, what exactly do I mean by a deal with the devil? A deal with the devil type trade is one where you mortgage the future to try to make your team look better and look like a championship contender, if you know what I'm saying. Yep. However, here is my issue with this trade. And make no mistake, on the surface, I love that you have Beal, uh, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. It looks like a great team. There's one thing that's holding them back. Yep. And I have the SpongeBob meme in my hat, head right now where he's making a rainbow. Cap space. Yeah. How are you going to find a way to further improve the team? Because you know that the salary cap there is kind of small. And, you know, look at what happened with the Brooklyn Nets on the surface. You looked like you had a team that had Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. And in an alternate universe, maybe they win a title if Kevin Durant's shoe size is like maybe a bit smaller. But that team ended up losing their deal with the devil. Although in in retrospect, I actually think they won the Kevin Durant trade. But now the Suns are giving up like the farm and trading a lot of magic beans to put them and to essentially put themselves in cap hell for the long term. Yeah, no, it's a it's a major risk by ownership, right? You know, you bring in an all-star type player, but and keep in yeah, mind this look- is new ownership, because you remember what happened with the whole right. Robert you remember what happened with their disgraced old owner. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, it could be something where it looks great on paper, but you know, we've seen Hank, super teams don't always work. You know, it, it doesn't always look it's it looks great, pretty looks all great and dandy and pretty, but in terms of what works is chemistry, chemistry and the flow in terms of the overall play, because, you know, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Book, three guys specifically that are fantastic players, but they are great. They really want the ball a lot. So there's mm-hmm. only one basketball. So that's another thing in terms of how, when you have three guys specifically that are great all-stars, you know, you look at Kevin Durant, you look at James Harden, you look at Kyrie Irving, kind of a similar situation where you had a lot of guys that were looked like great talents, but on paper, but you know, there's one basketball at the end of the day. So it really kind of depends between the chemistry of your overall team. And then how much can you add to it? Right. Because you already have a lot of money off the books from adding a per meal all-star player, which seems great and all, but it's the matter in terms of how much you have in your starting five. And then how much can you have to help off the bench? Right. And, 
before we move on to the next co- next topic of the this discussion, I do want to say this too, though. I'm not by any trance. There is no str- sense in this where I'm calling this a win for the Wizards at all. Yep. You had your franchise player that you could have traded about a year or two ago and gotten a lot in return. Now, you trade Bradley Beal, and even though getting Shamit is okay, and I think, and as I said, I think Landry Shamit is going to be a loss for the Suns because what everyone's overlooking sure. is you just lost a good depth piece. Now, all you get is Landry Shamit and a few magic beans known as draft picks. <laughs> so, even though I think this is a risk by the Phoenix Suns, there is no logical way that I can call this a win for the Washington Wizards. And let's remember, this is a French, this is a losing franchise. They have not been, forget the NBA finals. They have not even been the into the conference finals since Jimmy Carter was in the Oval Office. And look at all the talent that they've had over the years. You had Gilbert Arenas, who was really good. You had John Wall and, and you had Bradley Beal. That is a that is a terribly run organization. I, I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, no, I mean they. It's not like they haven't had chances. You know, they've they. And if there are people in Washington, by the way, that want to turn in their fan cards, I have no. I would not blame them one day. Yeah, no, I I remember actually. I have a buddy that lives down in D.C. and I went to go see a Wizards game last, this past year, and. Mm-hmm. I'm legitimately at the game and I'm like, where's everyone? <laughs> I get there maybe a couple, you know, 20 minutes before the tip off and I'm like, there's no one here. So that pretty much tells me they're just like, how much do they really care about their basketball team in DC? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, but again, can you blame the fans for not really caring? Because like I said, oh, yeah. like I, I complain a lot about how poorly the Knicks have been run. The Wizards are just as bad, if not worse. But in any event, in any event, let's move on to the next uh, big NBA news. So Draymond Green has declined his player option, and he is now officially a free agent. And this is big news because even though I've often compared Draymond Green, he's he's pretty much the Paul O'Neill of the Golden State Warriors, if I make sense. He's not the best player on a team, but he's essentially the heart and soul. He's like the leader that, like, you know, they kind of feed off of, you know? He's also what I pretty much think of as of Dan Girardi as with, with the New York Rangers from years past. You know the battery energizer? That's Draymond Green in terms of the Warriors for so long. And the I think that now we're seeing that the era of kind of the Warriors basketball, I'm not saying that it's the dynasty's dead at all. You know, they still, if they, as long as they have Steph and they have Clay around, you know, they always have a chance to get to a championship with those two guys as it is. Uh, but now, obviously, Draymond's going to probably be moving on. So that's a massive piece, at least to their starting five. They're probably going to have to move on some pieces pretty soon. I mean, heck, there's been reports out and rumors that potentially Clay Thompson down the road, who knows, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, this is a massive uh, you know, uh, move in terms of Draymond Green. And I think specifically there's going to be a lot of teams out there for his services because, you know, he he works the ball a lot. He's a really good, uh, you know, back cutter. He's a good passer. 
Uh, his obviously his outside shot is a really a work in progress, but you know, for a team that's in need of a big, massive spark in terms of as an energizer, I mean, this is a guy right here. I mean, he talked, I know he talks a lot of smack, but you know, it's a guy specifically that if you want to have a, a fiery type of attitude type of player that you really type of need and you want to pay the money for it, this is a perfect guy for you. You know, he's he's won a couple championships, so he has that pedigree as well, too. He's had a lot of playoff experience, so. You know, obviously, this is a massive uh, headline here for Draymond and the Warriors, but there's going to be a lot of suitors out for here, for this guy, Hank, and, uh, you know, we'll be curious to see, in terms of seeing of where he could go next. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think the Warriors would be better off keeping him or moving on for him? And before you answer that question, I want to give you a little bit of my 10 cents on this, if I may. I think... There, I see it as a double-edged sword. Draymond Green, like I said, is the spiritual leader of the Warriors. No, say what you want about Steph Curry and Clay, and Steph Curry is an NBA legend. He's he's going to go down as one of the greats of all time. I don't know how successful that Warriors run goes without Draymond Green, but at the same time, Draymond Green is on a decline. Like, he's getting up there in years, and it's pretty noticeable. So I think this very well could also be a good thing for the Warriors in that sense. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with you in a way. I think specifically this is a certain situation. I mean, this season, he averaged 8.5 points a game. So he was averaging under 10 points a game early on in his Golden State days. I think he was in, like, 13 to 15 points per game, and – uh, you know, he really – I never saw Draymond as much of a scorer. I saw kind of saw him as like an X-factor player where he can kind of really do it all. Uh, but in terms of his, his scoring as a whole, it really kind of wasn't his overall um, strong suit. Uh, but when he's out there in terms of his overall presence, I think his defense – his defense was one of the biggest things, I think, in terms of them winning a lot of championships because they're, the defense between Steph and – I know Clay's a pretty good defender. Steph mm-hmm. is – a very okay defender, I'd say, at, at best. But Draymond really brains when the Warriors really kind of go through funks or they really need a big, massive guy to get another, anybody else's face, that's Draymond Green. And, and I think specifically for a lot of the championships that the Warriors have won, I agree with you, Hank. They don't win a lot of those without Draymond Green because he brings a specific overall energy to that team that – you know, they, that they you need, you know, like he's like about the Marcus Smart to my Celtics. Marcus Smart, essentially, you know, he's not, he doesn't score a lot, but he's essentially, he is that heart and soul. And for a lot of teams for basketball, you need that. You know, you typically have your scores. You typically have guys that play really good defense and you typically have guys that are X factors that are heart and souls. So you just need that in order to make your chemistry of a basketball team work great. So this is going to be a big loss for the Warriors. But I also think I agree with you, too, that he's on the decline. So I think specifically you can't obviously replace his overall presence. But, you know, it should be fascinating because I think that the Warriors, as long as they have Curry and Thompson and they still have Steve Kerr around, they're still going to be competitive year in, year out. I'm going to give you another example. Charles Oakley on the 90s Knicks. Yep. But. You know, I wanted to give that team a shout out because I, I love what I, I, even though I wasn't really old enough to remember them, I love those Knicks teams. But, anyways, let's uh, transition to the NFL. And there's been one major news story. And, Ben, unfortunately, this affects your New England Patriots. 
Apparently, security found loaded guns and magazines inside of a car- the carry-on bag of first-round pick Jack Jones. And all I can say about this is this is yet another another idiot wasting a lot of his potential because of bad behavior. And I, I don't know about you, but uh, knowing Bill Belichick, he's probably just going to throw him overboard because we know how he operates. And Bill Belichick just does not tolerate any tolerate any BS. My overall reaction is I'm massively disgusted. I'm disappointed. I'm embarrassed. Uh, you know, even though it could be really on any team, this is to, the fact that this this guy is on my team. It just makes the situation even worse. I mean, heck, Hank, I'm more in the focus of the Patriots trying to get a guy like DeAndre Hopkins to my team to improve. And here we're talking about one of the promising draft picks that the Patriots got from last year. He played quite a bit. He had a couple of interceptions. I remember he picked. And a pick six against Aaron Rodgers. I'm just like, this is a guy to watch out for to make a great growth for next season. And now we're talking about him. I know that he had some off the field issues last year, but this is something you're just not going to turn back in terms of, okay, you know, we'll let you pass. No, 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 no. This is essentially you. This is like John Moran. You completely fucked up not only your football career, but your overall life. This is something specifically, I mean, first of all, specifically, like part of my language now, what in the actual fuck are you doing bringing two loaded handguns into an airport where they essentially have all the security right around you and, and you feel like you're going to get away with it? You're just not. Essentially, heck, I, I was listening to a, listening to a Boston radio show the other day. I had a guy, one of the guys, the reporters, he's just like, he got checked for just having a water bottle at security. And you, you feel like now you, it's not even close. I mean, this guy specifically, Hank, this guy better get off my team because this is not, that's not only a distraction to the team, but this is a distraction. Any, I mean, this is completely embarrassing, embarrassing. And I know any type of, you know, hope for this guy, you know, at least for myself to, you know, be, and then another good season, you know, make no, no, no. This is this is completely idiotic. I'm, this is dumbfounding. Essentially, what they say in the offseason for a lot of these kids and players, just one thing: don't fuck it up. Really, just just essentially, just keep on doing what you're doing. Don't fuck up your whole entire life. And you had this is a young kid that has a whole life and career ahead of him, ready to play football. And he could he could have potentially been a star for all we know. And here we are. You know, we're talking about essentially a guy that is you know, putting his life at risk into a major form. And he's probably not going to be on the team, not only, but his overall life, he could be probably sentenced to prison and, you know, his overall life could be probably put on the line here. Com- completely exactly. disgusted. Exactly. Cause what if he kills someone? Yeah. Uh, I, just, I No, I I'm with you. I literally have no patience when it comes to players doing this sort of, stupidity and again the fact that you the fact that you have the to have the audacity to bring those into an airport that literally has signs all over the place saying do not bring those you're subject to security and literally has security for a reason that is just absolutely moronic and there's no reason and look Generally, I'm all about, like, giving people second chances, but I'm sorry. Like, Bill Belichick and the Patriots have to make an example out of him. And yeah, 
I would love to talk more about this, but I think you pretty much nailed it, nailed it on the head, and I think you were absolutely spot on. And I'm actually, to be honest with you, kind of saving my energy for the next two uh, topics because... Fair enough. Hmm. Oh, boy. I have to rant about this next thing with the uh, Las Vegas A's. And by the way, I actually just dropped an article about that. I know, Ben, you saw this not too long before the show. and Yeah, I did. It was was pretty uh, spicy and colorful, to say the least. And so let's talk about this whole reverse boycott, shall we? So we know about the A's and their attendance problems. And it's no secret that this, that the Oakland A's are pretty much, pretty much, um, I would say what the Montreal Expos were from, let's say the early to mid two thousands. They essentially were a lame duck, lame duck, dead team walking franchise. And the idea of a reverse boycott on the surface seems about seems pretty strange to think about because inevitably eventually you're essentially putting money in the pocket of the owners. But the one good thing I liked about this was that all the money that was raised for it was donated to various local charities. And knowing that the, knowing the shape that the city of Oakland is in, I think that's great. That, that was the one feel good, positive story that came out of this whole reverse boycott thing. However, when it comes and what else I also liked, by the way, was the game itself. The A's ended up winning it two to one against the Tampa Bay Rays. And um, let me just show you guys my shirt. That's baseball, yeah. <laughs> Seven wins in a row. So that was a little feel good story. Mark Kotze said that that was like the most playoff atmosphere he had seen at that stadium in a very long time, and he should know because he played yeah. for that franchise. Yep. And he's unfortunately like going to be he's unfortunately not really a manager he's more like a sacrificial lamb in this whole ponzi scheme that because that's essentially what it is it's a ponzi scheme with their fans and like trying to get the whole thing thing of them going to vegas and all it really that all that thing really did and even though watching that game it gave me chills and Make no mistake, I don't tolerate the full fans throwing bottles and garbage on the field after that. You know I think that's disgusting. Yeah. But you have to give credit to the fans, or at least the ones who really could afford to show up credit where credit is due. But what happened afterwards made my blood boil. And there is a reason why I would say Adam Silver and Rob Manfred are essentially having a tug of war for who's the more spineless commissioner in, in all the four major sports. Rob Manfred goes up and, you know, I'm going to read to you this entire comment that he made because it is absolutely sickening. And I'm, I'm actually going to pull up my blog here right now. He said, I feel sorry for the fans in Oakland. I do not like this outcome. I understand why they feel the way you the way they do. I think the real question is, what is it Oakland was prepared to do? There is no Oakland offer. Okay, they they never got to a point where they had a plan to build a stadium at any site. And it's not just John Fisher. The community has to provide support. At some point, you come to the realization it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. What? The city is in bad shape. They there's no way. 
there is no way possible that the politicians can afford to screw out taxpayers for their hard-earned money just to satisfy satisfy the lust of a 2.2 billionaire rich man and his own wants of a better ballpark. There is no way they can afford, afford that. And not only that, the mayor even called out uh, the, com- the commissioner for saying that because she pointed out that there were definitely proposals under construction or proposals brought up by John Fisher. The problem was that they could never materialize because, as I said, it costs a lot of money and John Fisher was not, was never going to like contribute one single dime to this project because I, I would argue that he is a more sinister version of Mr. Krabs with the way that he handles his money. If you know what I mean. Yep. Yep. And not to mention Rob Manfred basically told, if you read between the lines of Rob Manfred's statement, he is basically saying, oh, I'm sorry, Oakland fans, but in order for to keep your team, you have to pay money and satisfy a rich guy just because, and get your money like taken out of your pocket, even though you probably can't afford to go to the games because of the economy. Yeah. Fuck you, Rob Manfred. Fuck you big time. Go get either, either get fired or just take some sensitivity training classes. He is the east end of a westbound horse. That's about all I have to say with this with, with this rant. I, I'm sorry. It's just really, really sickening. And also, I just want to say this too. I've never liked the idea of Vegas hosting a sports team. It's all for corporate, corporate money stuff and tourists like going to games. There's no legitimate fan base that you can build off of in any of the four major sports. I mean... Just look at the Golden Knights parade if if you want like any real example. Like, mm. just stupid. I like I, I this whole thing is just horrible. I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm not even an A's fan, and I'm disgusted. Couple couple things I want to say about this. One in terms mm-hmm. of Rob Manfred uh, to start. Ever since he handled the bring, trying to bring back the whole uh, season after, I think it was the lockout, right, Hank. Mm-hmm. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, once kind of COVID hit, you know, in terms of trying to bring back the season, you know, he's like, well, we had discussions, the MLBPA and the ownership. That was an absolute mess for so long in terms of, oh, we believe we'll have a season back and stuff like that. So I never I never had respect for him from that point on, and I still don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Another thing, too, Hank, is I actually on my other podcast I do, and uh, mm-hmm. for those uh, to keep an eye on MI Sticks Network, I do a lot of from the West Coast, so keep an eye on that. But I have a buddy that I podcast with with that network, and he is actually an Oakland A's fan, and he actually worked there. So I actually know somebody specifically that has a personal feel of being at the place year in and year out. And he was actually at the game for the um, A's against the Rays during the reverse boycott because he was that frustrated, not only because of the overall A's trying to move to Las Vegas, but he was disgusted about losing his job. He was he was so in tune in terms of working there for so many years and essentially taking workers out of this, not only just the team as a whole in terms of that place, but everybody else. I mean, he he's just like at this point in time, I don't really care about the team. I care about just having keeping my job. So I just look at it from that case. I mean, he was 
when I, when I told him the news, I, to, I told him off the air, I'm like, listen, my guy, I'm like, I'm so sorry for you. Like, I, and I oh told him, God. like, straight to his face because because I I don't really know how I can relate to it in terms of the fact of, you know, the ownership specifically, of course, doesn't care. You know, they essentially were just kind of falling in terms of what ownership from the MLB said and said, okay, we're going to – we don't have enough money. We'll just bring it over to a place in a city in Las Vegas. Or personally speaking, you know, it's a relocation. So how many fans do you feel like are going to be more uh, interested – into a, a team that was built to a place for so long and brought over to somewhere else. I, I think it's going to be more split. I think that there's going to be a lot of people, and I don't blame them for a case, to stay in Oakland. And I, they they were essentially kind of scapegoated in this situation. They clearly were. It's it just the way it was obviously handled, um, you know, that they game against Braves. Well, yeah. Ben, they were gaslit. Yeah. They, the, the owners and the commissioner – we're doing what every average douchebag politician does. They were scapegoating people into into believing lies. And that's what that's one of the things that just absolutely sickens me about the whole thing. It it, it really does. And I and I really and I don't know if your friend ever watches if watches this episode, I hope I have so much sympathy for him. Like he deserves better, and I hope he find he lands on his feet somehow, some way. Like regardless of what happens, and I would yeah, love to. I, mean, he, I would love to interview yeah, that guy. But side note, he he essentially he's. I mean he he really is upset. Like he and, and I don't feel for I I don't blame the kid for so long. I mean I've done a couple of shows with him, and you know every single time you know we talk in terms of an overall sort of subject about this. I mean it really takes to heart. I mean not only just. We could talk about it in terms of just from an outside perspective. This guy was a fan of this team, and he was a worker of this overall place. So in terms of this overall feel, I mean, there probably had to be an inside scoop in terms of what he heard from other places about this because it's just – the whole situation is just absolutely just depressing. It's just, you know, to my Ace fans out there, including my friend that I do my other show with, it's just – that's – I'm sorry. I'm, I really am. And I'm not even an Ace fan myself. I just feel awful for, for the overall place, um, just for the overall city. Uh, they definitely deserve better, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And figuratively, figuratively speaking, since, like I said, I've become sober, I will pour a cold, non-alcoholic beverage for you guys. So that's pretty much, that's all I have to say. And I think, Ben, I'm sorry, you're going to have to deal with another of my rants alerts. Although this one will make you because (laughs) the New York Yankees have just been swept by the last place Red Sox. Now, Ben, I think you, if you've, you've been following me on social media, I made the drive, um, drive up there for uh, both, for both games of the doubleheader. I actually left on Saturday. I had to see, I went to see family in, in Massachusetts because I have a lot of connections. I, I have a good amount of connections there. That's why I go there like a good amount of times mm-hmm. per year. Um, the first game I missed because I actually was at City Field. I saw the Mets beat the Cardinals uh, six to one, and yeah. um, that was a pretty good game. And probably for the best that I missed the first Yankee game because they got absolutely boat raced. <laughs> yep, fifteen to five. And do you want to hear a not so fun fact? Josh Donaldson. Uh, 
That was about, I believe that was the second game in which the Yankees scored more than three runs since Aaron Judge got hurt. Two of those, one or two of those came in garbage time. One of them was a Josh Donaldson home run. Now, I remember back in the day when fans used to, to like, hate on A-Rod because A-Rod would hit, like, meaningless home runs and, you know, he didn't, like, hit in the postseason. You want to talk about, like, meaningless home runs. Talk about the guy who you essentially paid the Gary Sanchez tax to get as your third baseman. The guy who, you know, Aaron Boone thinks it's okay to hit third in the lineup when he's hitting, like, 150-something. The, the guy who's clearly at this point a washed-up superstar. Uh, the Yankees have not won a game this year in Game City's home run. I believe they're actually 0-5 or 0-6, something along those lines. That's bad. And to give up fifth... And look, I know your lineup is decent. Don't get me wrong. Like, Verdugo and Devers are, are solid hitters. Make no mistake. I mean, I wouldn't say, like, Verdugo's like a star by any stretch, but he he's a decent spray hitter. At he's, a solid, he's just solid, yeah. Like, he's fine. Giving up 15 runs to a team that's as mid as the Red Sox, no offense. No, I'm, I'm not. That, <laughs> I think we're very average. <laughs> that says more about the Yankees to me than it really does the Red Sox, in my honest opinion. And what's funny was I was looking at, that out of town scoreboard, I saw one nothing Yankees, and all of a sudden I turned around, and I see six. I'm like, "What the fuck just happened?" So then, mercifully, Saturday gets rained out. I still made the drive despite the horrible weather, and I got to see some family. That was that was nice. I needed a little break from from baseball. <laughs> it, it was good. Then we get to Sunday. I have my tickets ready. I I actually snuck down to the. I don't know if I should say this on the show, but like. There's a way you like you can like get good seats at Fenway. Just know that I'm not going to go into full detail because that's my own little that's my own little secret. And um, mm-hmm. you can DM me if you want to know more about that. But okay. I I was not too far behind um, Poofy uh, JD Mo- Poofy White Hair JD Montana. If you've seen Yankees Red Sox games, I think you'll probably know who I'm talking about. Um, super nice guy, by the way, and. Glaber hits a two-run home run in the first inning. The Yankees are off to a better start. I'm like, okay, things are looking promising. After that home run, only two hits the rest of the way. Two in the last eight innings. And one of them was a bloopy, rinky-dink single that came when they were down to their last out. And... Look, I'll give Schmidt credit where credit is due. He did his best. Unfortunately, he gave up a few runs to tie the game, but he wasn't that bad today. Michael King ended up imploding in the bottom of the six, giving up three runs. And again, I can't shit on Michael King too much because he's been one of their better relief pitchers all year long. This lineup, I don't care that Aaron Judge and Harrison Bader are out with injuries. This lo- There's no excuses to be only getting two hits after er, in the last eight innings against this pitching staff. It's not like we're talking about the 2004 Red Sox rotation that had Kurt Schilling, Pedro <laughs> Martinez, yeah. and Tim Mayfield. Or better yet, even Prime Pedro, who had two of the greatest seasons I've ever that anyone's ever seen. This is an average rotation, and that's me being nice about it. If you only get two hits... 
in eight in the last eight innings of one game against this team, there is something very wrong. And and you deserve to get swept in that series. And it wasn't much better because in the third game, the Yankees only got five hits. Did I mention most of them were in the like first inning? Mm. Um, and if you look on my one of my uh, social media pages for another show that's in the works, and one of the videos that I did uh, that I recorded of myself when I was there, I literally admitted I wasn't confident when the Yankees had that one nothing lead. It's like I was just like all indifferent. I mean, the way they got that run, it was productive out. Rizzo grounded out, the guy went home, but then. The next few batters whiffed. The Yankees could have, like, had a big opportunity to, like, you know, make a statement in that first inning. They blew it, and I'm like, it's only a matter of time before the Red Sox tie the game. Guess what? That's exactly what happens. And then the Yankees continued wasting base runners. They struggled with no one on base, and they struggled with multiple runners on base. You're not winning games like that. In fact... The Yankees have, like I said, on average scored three runs per game. That is pathetic. Pathetic. This is a team that is worth over $300 billion, or can I do my Dr. Evil impersonation for you? $300 billion. And that's what you're putting up. That's what you're putting up on a game-to-game basis absolutely inexcusable. And let me pick on Josh Johnson once more. He got picked off in the bottom oh, yeah. of, the, top of the fourth inning after a single. Get that guy off of my team right now. I don't care how much money it takes. A 150 batting average, age 38, he's an absolute waste of space, I would rather see Oswaldo Oswald Peraza in that lineup. I'd rather see some of the other young guys. Say what you want about Volpe's average. At least he's young and he has potential. Josh Donaldson is finished. Get him off. I'm sick of this lineup BS, but yet the sad thing is, oh, I wouldn't worry. Nothing changes. Brian Cashman still has a job. Aaron Boone still has a job. The Yankees are just barely over 500. The Yankees are a team that is full of dinosaurs in the front office. People like to tell me, oh, the analytics killed the Yankees. No. The Yankees hired people that are stuck in their old ways and can't adapt to the times. Do you know what happens when you can't adapt to the times? Eventually, you're, eventually you can't keep up. And you're screwed. And... um I'll tell you, I mean, just look at the Giants. Look what happened when the Giants finally adjusted and hired newer age people. Turn around pretty quickly. There is, like, there's no excuse for these two to still, like, have have jobs right now the way they are. But it's okay. Aaron Judge might come back soon. The Yankees will get back to form. They'll probably be a playoff team, maybe, if if they're lucky. And they'll probably still to be con- still continue to be making money because, after all, we got to sell those chicken tender buckets. We got to sell all those LaBelle steak sandwiches. We got to sell all that merchandise. We're the Yankees. We're a big money team. All that money is rolling in. And we're, we made the playoffs after all. Everything's all just fine and Danny. Bullshit. This is an organization. This is a business. 
a failing one at that. And one that just cannot adapt to the times. And I'm sorry, but fair or not, when you put on the pinstripes and you you play for a billion-dollar organization, the fact of the matter is the expectations are going to be high, whether it's fair or not. And you if you and if you're a billion dollar organization that's not only batting a 150 hitter that's being paid million dollars third or fifth and you're also a team that's trotting out outfields that consist of Willie Calhoun, IKF and uh, Billy McKinney and Jake Bowers you can't be taken seriously you just can't this team is an absolute joke and yet i'm also a uh, I'm also a you-know-what because I somehow still decide to keep going to games. Because I, at the end of the day, I love it. But I am frustrated as hell, and I miss the old Yankees. Ben, if you want to go go excited and talk about how happy you were about the sweep, the floor is yours. I'm, I'm sorry. I had to get all that off my chest. I'm really disgusted. It's all good. It's all good. I, I can understand that. Heck, I was – Hank, I'll say this about you. I say I, I told a bunch of Yankee fans about this. Try doing that of all the frustration you had of that this whole past weekend. Do all of that last year. That was the Red Sox for me. I legitimately had all that feeling that you had, but try whole season. I mean, the, this Red Sox team as a whole, uh, Hank, they have their own issues too. Don't you worry about that. I still love them to death, but they have their own issues as well. Uh, but what I will say is this. I I understand Aaron Judge is out. Now, that's obviously he's better when the rivalry is there. He is a fantastic player. I'm not going to sugarcoat it left and right. When he is in that lineup, the, the Yankees offense goes. But I'm surprised of the Red Sox. If you asked me with the first two series that they win both of the series and they limit John Carlston, who's been a pesky killer to us for so long that he would – I don't believe he said – me, me might have hit one home run. I don't remember. But this pitching staff so far against the Yankees, I understand the judges out, but they have potential. They have a lot of youth potential. Brian Bayo's been fantastic against them. Oh, he was, great. Way, two, he was great. Two, two Sunday night starts. One in the one in the Bronx, which is a very tall task for a young pitcher like him, and then against the Yankees for the Sunday night, for the doubleheader type game. Um, the Red Sox, I think, you know, they now are still are in a bridge gap here, which – I don't want to hear, but here we are still. And, you know, that they still have guys specifically where, you know, yeah, they 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 won the series in New York, but then they lost the series to the Rockies. So they're just – they're absolutely inconsistent. There's no specifically in terms of – they'll let – that's basically <laughs> – yeah, make it make sense. You know, the Red Sox specifically, when they play teams like over 500, they at least – are a decent, competent team, and then they play teams like – I know that the Reds have been really good this year, but they lost a series to the Reds at home. They lost a series – they got swept to the Pirates at home in early um, April. So, I mean – Well, can I just say at least the Pirates have a little bit of potential to be better. I, I don't think – they're not that good this year, but I yeah, I love that I'm, – I'm, by the way, want to say I'm rooting for Henry Davis. He went – he is a Fox Lane alumni. That's a high school that was a rival to, to where I went, and I actually remember seeing him play against – Horace Greeley back when I was in high school. I just wanted to put that fun fact out there. Sorry, keep continue. Yeah, yeah it's all good. But man, you know, it was particularly yeah. hits good for him. No, yeah, good good salute for him. Um, but no, yeah, the, the Red Sox so far, the first two series, I know that you've had your frustration, but 
The Red Sox had a lot of trouble last year with the Yankees. They've had a lot of trouble with them in the past, you know, for a while. They've obviously had their spurts, but to have a good start to the overall season, uh, five and one, the only loss, of course, was, of course, when I was there. So um, you could thank me for that. I think that was the same game I saw you. Um, yes, but, it was. That was a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I feel like this team, you know, as of right now, actually, the Red Sox, they just won last night against the Twins. They're on a five-game winning streak. They're only, I think, a half, one and a half games out of the wild card. So as much as I look to, you know, criticize Bloom, and I still do. I still have a lot of problems with their ownership and stuff like that because of the whole Xander and all that stuff situation. Right. And I, that's another story for another day. But they they keep on the, – the Red Sox to me is the meme of just when I think that they are out, they pull me right back in. And as much as I love them, they really pull me back in when they're playing well. And, you know, they, they won the game I went to on Wednesday against the Rockies, even though it was a delayed type game. I had to leave early, unfortunately. Then they play the Yankees on a three-game uh, three game series, Father's Day weekend, which, by the way, those yellow jerseys, Hank, I know a lot of people don't like them, but I'll be a little biased. They're fresh. The, the Red Sox, too, are, I believe, <laughs> the Red Sox are 19-4. and four. When they wear those yellow jerseys, by the way. So it brings a lot of good luck to them. So whatever they keep on wearing, might as well keep doing it. Um, but Garrett Whitlock, Brian Bea, Tanner Houck got absolutely plunked in the head on Friday, which was a scary sight. Um, looks like he's going to be a facial fracture. I hope he's going to be okay because he's been pitching really well. But the young guys, so far against the Yankees, I know so far, and yes, this is without Aaron Judge, they've had a really good ERA so far, which is very promising to see because – that's essentially who the Yankees are going to be having for years to come. And, you know, John Carlos Stanton, I, I think specifically, without Aaron Judge, it's just shocking how much specifically one essentially star player, you know, it's not like the, the Yankees don't have guys that essentially could could do, you know, put put runs up. And, heck, I know DJ LeMahieu, you know, he used to be a killer to us, but he obviously used to climb a little bit. John Carlos Stanton is a massive killer to us. I mean, he – uh, every single the time I saw him up at Fenway, I was always worried that the ball be going over the monster and going to Mass Pike. And, yeah, you know, uh, and then you look at Anthony Rizzo. He was a killer to us. Volpe, I think, has a lot of potential. So it's not like you just look at the line and be like, oh, you know, they have nothing. You know, th- this team has potential. I think specifically that the Red Sox, you know, they have guys, specifically the young guys specifically, that have been able to find – you know, some, some ground here. And, you know, I think I know that specifically that the Yankees probably could play a little bit better. And I know we, we could definitely play a little bit better for sure in terms of the season, but I just think it's all probably a little bit more underperformance than just it's overall, you know, the way the direction team is. I think still think that Yankees team is, is very good. You know, just a matter of terms of they got Bader tonight. Heck, the thing about though, Hank is think about this right now. The Houston Astros—they have been absolutely falling like crazy. The Dodgers—they have been falling like crazy. The New York Mets—they have been falling like crazy. So you know, you don't look at just your team right now. It's a lot of teams, a lot of these big-time teams that you felt like they're going to be competitive, and they still could be. But their overall slides right now—it's the June swoon for a reason. I think specifically, you might have, we might have, as much as I'm really happy that we won the two first two series, we might have even just caught you at the right time. Um, it'll be very curious to see in terms of, I think we play only guys twice now because of the, the schedule. So I haven't seen a scheduling yeah. like that. Yeah. But if you told me that we at least have two series against you guys for this season, heck I'll take it. And you know, with this, with this overall season as a whole, when you have to beat the teams in your division, you know, even the good, the good ones, um, it, it definitely helps you go a long way because the Red Sox, I think we're like, 
six games out or whatever, like last week of the wild card. And now they're within range of, you know, the Yankees are starting to slide a little bit. They have the Mariners, they have the Rangers coming up this week. So it, those those pitching staffs, they have Kirby, I think, tonight. They have Castillo coming up. Uh, the Rangers have a really good pitching staff. So I'll be curious to see how you guys do against that uh, back in the Bronx. We have the uh, Twins this week and we have the White Sox. Those are be two really good teams. But the thing about the Red Sox right now too, Hank, they would be in first place in the AL Central or the NL Central. But the division is so stacked that we are still in last place. Now, am I saying that we're a great team? No. Am I saying that we're a really, really bad team? No. I just think we're a very middling team. That's been the Red Sox for a long period of time. And they have stretches where you feel like that they could play really good baseball, but then they also have the moments where they're not so good. So, um, it was very good to see. Obviously, the sweep I'll take in terms of a little bit of a bonus. But in terms of your frustration, I could definitely see where you're coming from because I had those moments so much last year. And I still have a lot of moments of that this year. Heck, there was a time, I think it was Cleveland series, I had those frustrations. And, you know, there's, there's countless ones. But I'll take it. Um, being up 5-1 so far in this series is great, um, you know, especially after the last couple of years. So it was a good series for me. Uh, but I know that there's still a lot of work to be done. And if they want to get into the postseason – uh, you know, the trade line is going to be coming up pretty soon. Uh, they still have a lot of work to do. Uh, but, you know, guys like Justin Turner had a really good series. You know, I think that Jenny Martinez leaving, he played a really good showing. Um, I really – I know you didn't mention uh, Masataki Yoshida, but I think that he's, oh, he's been – he, he, I, uh, I think he's going to be a really good player when it's all said and done. Uh, I really like – there's a lot of tools in this game I really like. Who's that? Kike Hernandez got some clutch hits too. Yeah, yeah. I, I think – well, Kike's going to be a free agent after this season. I think that he's a good utility guy, but he's not mm-hmm. a shortstop, right? And Heimblum kept on putting him in shortstop, shortstop, sharp. And I'm yeah. like, he is not a shortstop. They put this Pablo Reyes kid on who Heimblum got for free from Oakland. Speaking of Oakland, sorry. Um, but but um, he's been great. You know, he I saw him play last night. And, you know, so Kike might not have all these opportunities now. You know, Verdugo, Yoshida – I think even the crazy thing is too, Hank, is Devers is better like 240. Like I feel like Devers is still the best player on the team and he still is not going get going yet. If he can get going, the pitching staff at least keeps within reach. And by the way, Chris Sale, who I love to death, but he always is hurt. He was looking great and then he got hurt again. It's like always every single time I want Chris Sale to pitch against the Yankees, never happens. So you know, it, but but you look at a guy like last night, James Paxton, a former Yankee. He has been unbelievable. If you told me specifically, I know he's only had a couple starts so far, but he's three and one. He's throwing ninety five. He's throwing a really good off speech consistently. I was only asking for a little bit from Paxton. I wasn't asking for a lot from much, but yeah, between him, you have Bayo, you have Whitlock, you have Hauk. You know, Crawford, there's potential in that starting rotation that I can see. The bullpen, too. The bullpen this whole past week against the Yankees' sake. Jansen's been great for the most part, I guess you can say, because uh, we had no closer the last couple of years, which is it's a blessing to see. I know Kenley, there's a lot of blowing up here and there with the last couple of teams. Chris Martin, great, great fit. Really like him. Winkowski. Uh, you know, so there, there's obviously – there's really good things in the pitching staff as of right now that I'm really liking. Uh, Corey Kluber, of course, he's washed up. You want to talk about your washed up guy in Donaldson? Corey Kluber. Never understood that overall signing as a whole. You know, you have Michael Walker and Nathan Ovaldi, two guys that have had fantastic overall seasons so far with both of their respective clubs. And But it's what it is. So I take the sweep. I know, obviously, that, you, that you're upset, and deservedly so. I'd be the same way and the other way around, which I've felt many times against you guys. 
Um, that's that's baseball, Susan. I also say that. <laughs> nope it it listen. It's what it is. I no matter how what much I love the Yanks and like you've seen me with Yankee paraphernalia a lot. Like you know they also drive me absolutely nuts at times, and that's. Like I said, it just bothers me when when a team just has the mon- the mentality of being the definition of insanity. But I I'm going to move on to this last topic because I'd rather not po- uh, pop a blood vessel in front of you. So um, <laughs> let's uh, get to the New York Rangers. So they have just hired Peter Laviolette to be the next head coach, and um, I'm going to before I let you talk, you know, I'm going to need to give my ten cents again. So mm-hmm. the Rangers came off a really bad loss against the New Jersey Devils in seven games. I'm still recovering from having been at game seven myself in that series and having to go and actually I went to every game except game five in that, in that series. So um, th- this, t- this was by far one of the biggest, one of, if not the biggest disappointments that I have ever seen from New York Rangers, especially given the talent level on the roster. However, when you when it all comes down to it, you can't really change a lot of the ro- roster. There there aren't a lot of immovable parts. As much as you want to get rid of Artemi Panarin for having that awful postseason showing, he's being paid way too much money. Nobody's going to take on that contract, so you're essentially stuck with him. As much as you want to trade Chris Kreider, maybe for money reasons, he also was your best playoff performer. Can't get rid of him. Meek um, Zibanejad. You still, I don't even know that you're halfway through his contract yet. You're stuck with him. And so basically, because of salary cap financial constraints, you have you, they have no choice but essentially, for the most part, to run back their team. And before you, ta- you give me any argument that Kako and Lafreniere are busts, let's not, let's, let's put things into perspective. These guys are younger than us. Like, what were you doing around that time at that age? They also haven't had the chance to get top line minutes because they came in for an unusual circumstances. Like, you don't want to move on from those guys. And if you do, it could end up being a colossal mistake that comes back to haunt you. So, once again, aren't really a lot of immovable parts. And you could make the case for Keandre Miller, but again... The other problem with that thing is he was also one of the higher scoring defensemen other than Adam Fox. So the point that I'm trying to make is something had to change. And when you look at what it came down to, and when you look at the press conferences that Gerard Gallant had, he had to go. And I'm sorry that I say this because I'm not one of those types of people that usually advocates for a coaching change unless it absolutely is necessary. Like you've seen how patient I was over the years with uh, giant coaches, he mm-hmm. needed to go for the sheer fact that if you look at a lot of what happened, he said, oh, I'm not changing lines, even after they lost that crushing game three in overtime. And he tried to let the players like do their thing. He didn't feel that that was necessary. No, that shows to me that this is a lack of preparation. And his style works in the short run. I mean, there's a reason why he's done, he's turned teams around pretty quickly, such as the Florida Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, actually that's not a turnaround. That was their first year of existence, but y- you get the point. He's, he's the type of guy that is stubborn. And whenever he gets stat in his ways, he doesn't feel the need to change him. And let's not forget back in December, 
Truba had that moment where he threw his helmet because it, it seemed like the Rangers at the time were a rudderless ship. They proceed to win seven games in a row. And Cruz, if I'm not, I'm going to be honest with you. If they don't pull off that winning streak, and you could possibly argue that if they lost the game against St. Louis two days after Chicago, I think there's, I think he would have been gone then. I think that winning streak essentially temporarily saved his job. Mm-hmm. And then the Rangers became one of the winningest teams. But at the end of the day, the re- the regular season is essentially just that. Like, those games mean absolutely nothing. And once you got to the postseason, you saw what happened to the Rangers. They folded. And when, once pressure came, they folded when it mattered. And the coach didn't make a lot of changes. When you have... When in two of the last three games they get shut out the way they did, it looked right. to me that like sure, Rangers, sure, yeah. it looked to me that the Rangers essentially like lost this series twice, and they didn't even put enough shots up on uh, Akira Schmidt. So essentially, what happened when it all boils down to it, they had a coaching problem. Now, let's talk about um the whole like process of replacing Gallant. Um. You had Chris Knobloch as one of the names. Knobloch was is uh, the minor league head coach of the Hartford Wolfpack, and to his mm. credit, he turned them around. They were in last place, got them to the third round of the playoffs, yep. and a lot of people were advocating for, for him, and I wouldn't have been opposed to that myself, but ultimately when it all comes down to it, you had him, you had other guys get, get first-year hires for rebuilding teams. The Rangers were the only one, team on that list that wasn't rebuilding, so to speak. You need, you, they were win now. The obvious move was to hire somebody who had experience. And I've also been hearing advocates for Joel Quenville. Joel Quenville mm. is still coming off that whole scandal. But even if you really, even if the Rangers really did want Joel Quenville, which probably, which I'm not putting out of the question entirely necessarily, Drury was never going to wait on, on Gary Bettman to make a ruling on that. You needed a coach and, I actually kind of like that he did his due diligence in waiting out, waiting out the process for getting coach, getting a head coach. Ultimately, Peter Laviolette was the only obvious name that really stood out. And sure, you could maybe argue Mike Babcock, but if you look at the allegations of what happened to Mike Babcock in the past, I don't really think that that's. I, I wouldn't have been too happy if they had gotten Mike Babcock. So Laviolette made sense, and this is a guy who, while a lot of people say he's similar in the sense that, like, he's a guy that can, like, be a bit of a player coach, ultimately, he's the type of person that holds veterans accountable. He also will make in-game changes when necessary. That's been proven when he was with the Flyers and the Predators, and even back when he was the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, where he won that Stanley Cup. Now, you want to talk to me about his tenure with Washington? I get it. It wasn't good, but that team was getting older, and they they were in a bit of a transition. I don't I think it was a case of good coach, wrong fit when it came to the Washington Capitals. Now you look at the Flyers and the Predators. Sure, he didn't win cups there, but he took teams that really didn't have quite the talent that the Rangers had, and he got them all the way. So imagine what he can do with this Rangers roster. I really like like the the idea of getting a guy like that. I Whether it, it uh, puts them over the top, who knows? But the Rangers still have that window of opportunity, and I'm definitely, I definitely like their chances. Not saying that they're going to win the cup, but I think they definitely have a chance to make a lot of noise this year. And I, I really, I'm really looking forward to what can happen with him, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to the potential essentially. 
is what I'm trying to tell you. And let's not remember, let's not forget, he has, um, he's top 10 in terms of winning his coaches of all time. So again, like I said, getting a coach with that pedigree was the obvious move. There's no way around it. Uh, in terms of my overall thoughts, this obviously is kind of, I'm not saying that like the, the fire of Gallant's kind of similar to Bruce Cassidy, but you know, Bruce Cassidy, obviously when, the, when, the, when he got fired from the Bruins, right. In terms of he, you know, a lot of the fan base of course was very um, opposed to it. And I think in terms of the Rangers, in terms of Gallant, I think a lot of people were kind of all for kind of him moving on and, in terms of in terms of his overall feel, you know, I know that they had Dan Quinn before that. So they kind of had a couple of coaches in the past that, you know, were very serviceable coaches. But I think that La Violette is a very good coach uh, as a whole. I mean, he has a really good track record for a lot of the teams. And when you have a overall team like the Rangers, where you have Patrick Kane, Zabenajad, Panarin, Lafaniere, uh, you just Kreider, you know, you have a lot of you know, your your top six, you know, even your top three lines are very strong. So, you know, as a really good coach, if you have a pretty good top three lines already as it is, and then you're very decent back end, your, your goaltending already with Shesterkin is already pretty strong already as it is to, to start it because he's a very good goalie. But, you know, I, I think as a whole, this is a really good fit. I agree with you, Hank. I think that for the Rangers specifically, this gets them within the top, you know, between it's the, the top teams I would say in the Eastern Conference still would be probably between my Bruins and uh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of great teams out there. Carolina, it was just uh, over there. Florida, there's a, just a lot of great teams as a whole that you can see that you can compete with. But Belavulet really gets this team to have really good cup uh, probabilities and. That's a really good fit. And actually, fun fact, you know, when you were talking, funny enough that he went his home his hometown is from Franklin, Mass. Yep. I went to school in Franklin, Mass. So oh, for college. Cool. So so I mean, I'm pulling for the guy. I know that he is a Ranger co- coach, but I'm pulling for him. And uh I think for the Rangers specifically, uh, this is a really good fit and uh, I'm happy for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm really mm-hmm. definitely excited. And I also want to add a few other things before we end the show. Number one. Uh, I'm going to get back to Chris Knobloch for a second. I actually have a bold prediction for you. I think Knobloch is, is going to be next in line to be the next head coach after, after Laviolette. Cause let's not forget they hired, they gave him a three-year contract, which is smart mm-hmm. because by the time that contract gets closer to the expiration, that's when the team is going to start to deconstruct and, you know, they're going to go into that rebuilding phase. But, Let's remember, you also are going to have, you might still have have uh, guys such as uh, Lafreniere and Kako, and you have some good players down in the minor leagues that could probably still do well. I think that might be the time that Knobloch ends up getting his chance with the Rangers, but that's assuming that he doesn't like go anywhere, or he doesn't get offered a job elsewhere. But if he's still there within within the next three years, and let's say Laviolette, God forbid, doesn't work out, I, I think he might be the next head coach and. To your point about the talent level, yeah, I'm not saying it guarantees success. The Bruins are still, the Bruins might still be in the mix, but I don't know if I, I feel like their window kind of closed now with um certain retirements and certain salary. Probably, caps. It's gonna be really interesting. We're running a top cap situation, so 
It's going to, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how the Maple Leafs do, because that's a team that's going to be in transition. And then we look at my division, Carolina. I don't, I think they got, they got worse this past off season. I know they had a really good regular season, but losing uh Svechnikov was a real killer. And now you're going to have to pay a lot of free agents. It's not going to be a very easy summer for Carolina. And I'm, I would be more Pittsburgh's worried. Declining. Yeah. Pittsburgh mm-hmm. is pretty much declining. There's, they can't even rebuild. Look how many contracts they're stuck with. It, there's really only one team in the division, if I'm being honest with you, that even though Carolina mildly scares me because you still have talent there and Svechnikov. Tampa. And- Tampa's still around, too. Yeah, Tampa still is, but I, I can see them being in, in that declining stage, too, although yep. I wouldn't be surprised if they bounce back. <laughs> the only team in my conference that really scares me is the Devils. Mm. Like, Carolina... Columbus, I think, can improve because I think they made a decent hire in Babcock and they're really trying to, you know, improve their team. But I don't know that they're there yet. I could see them maybe having a bit of a turnaround. Um, the Flyers are a mess. The less the less said about them, the better. Like, yeah. the Capitals are, are pretty much old. Islanders are kind of, eh. They're mid. They're mid. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that for the Ranger fan. That, that team's mid. Yeah. Mm. I I honestly think the Devils are the biggest threat to the Rangers because we saw they honestly had some nice young talent even when they were bad. I'm not gonna like act like I didn't know that I'm surprised that they got this turnaround. But now you're really seeing that a young core like uh Brat, um Hughes, he sheer and now if you and if you add Timo Meyer and you re-sign him to a good contract. I think that definitely keeps you uh, extends your window. So that's a team to look out for. And especially if their goalie situation improves, like yeah. you need to watch out for the devil's big time, but that's pretty much all I have to say regarding the Rangers and hopefully knock on wood. This could be the year. I mean, Hey, like if I'm going to make another comparison for a little tangent before we leave, this reminds me a lot of the 2013 transition when it looked like uh, the Rangers were on their way, but then they had a setback in 13 and John Tortorella got fired. Then you had Elaine Vigneault, took them to the finals. So who knows? But that's pretty much all. That's pretty much all I have to say regarding um, what's going on. Ben, I want to say thank you so much for um, for hopping on and making your debut in what I guess we could say as a baptism by fire, given all the emergencies we've been having, but you did an excellent job as, um, as my uh, guest co-host on your first ever show. And this was a lot of fun talking with sports with you for the first time on a podcast in probably a couple years now. It's, it's been a hot minute. Yeah, no, it's, it was great. It was great to come on here. Like I said, to start the show, I'm really glad to be a part of this network and uh, really to, talk to some more sports topics and, and really uh, be a part of the team. And I, yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, talking the overall latest sports news with you today, Hank. Absolutely. Well, that's Ben Cruz. I'm Hank, Hank and Dichter. And please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at game on ETB. And of course you can also find us on Instagram at game on underscore ETB. Follow the Empty the Bench podcast network at ETB Network on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. There is a lot of good stuff besides the show. We've got 
fruity cereal. We've, of course, got the namesake of this network. We've got the 3 and D, which Paul just brought back not too long ago, if you want some really good basketball takes. And there may or may not be a baseball show coming up there. I can neither confirm nor deny, but we know that's going to be in the works. And, of course, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us at youtube.com slash ETB network. And of course, make sure you follow the website. If you want to see, check out some great blogs and more information as well. I know yours truly has been pumping out stuff like crazy, but anyways, that'll do it for this episode of game on episode 59 for Ben Cruz. I'm Hank and Dichter, and I will talk to you guys later.